You are listening to the sermon stream of the Mulvane Church of Christ in Mulvane, Kansas. Subscribe in your favorite podcatching app or find and listen to any sermon online at mulvanechurch.com slash sermons. Good morning. If you would, turn with me to the book of Psalms. We're going to read Psalm 121 to begin. Psalm 121, the word of the Lord. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Amen. In this psalm, which we read this morning from the English Standard Version, one of the I use three translations on a pretty regular basis. This is the one probably of the three I use the least. But it does a thing here which I truly appreciate. It keeps the same English verb of keep throughout the text. Other uh, English translations, good ones, literal ones, for some reason, uh, they just uh, switch all over and go through the whole thesaurus of keep and preserve and uh, watch and care instead of just keeping the same word keep throughout, which I guess keep is a fine one. If they would have picked another one, it would have been fine too. But it's the same word in Hebrew of what God does repeatedly. There's this repeated emphasis on a singular word. And if we switch that word in English to a synonym uh, each time, though every one of those might be a proper translation, uh, we lose uh, the symmetry and we lose some of the the force of what the uh, inspired poet here was going for. Uh, What we find is this says, It is a song of ascents. The old King James, uh, using an older translation, an older way to say uh, what this title is, it calls it a song of degrees. It variously otherwise called a song of steps, a song for going up to worship, and this section of which there's uh, 10 or 12 songs beginning with number 120. They're also uh, called the pilgrim psalms. Uh, we're not sure, and maybe it was used for both. There's some uh, of the Jewish authorities who believe that this section of Psalms uh, was recited and sung as the priests went up the steps uh, to uh, the place of sacrifice. I believe there were 12 steps. There's others who believe and think that these songs were primarily used by those on their way to Jerusalem. And so we think about those great crowds of people uh, who were headed to Jerusalem for the three feasts. And so uh, they, uh, there'd be these massive uh, caravans of folks. We, we see these in the gospel uh, with Jesus going uh, to Jerusalem and the great crowds, especially once they'd all kind of, from Jericho on, that final ascent to Jerusalem. And it's in these uh, caravans uh, that Jesus traveled uh, and, and was found to be, well, I guess he didn't travel, was found to be missing uh, in his 12th year when he was back in Jerusalem. And so here are these songs 
uh, that either are uh, the prelude to the sacrifice or also uh, the songs of preparation, uh, the songs of devotion, uh, the songs of the pilgrims along the way as they went to Jerusalem. Uh, Contrast this one. Here's one who seems to be getting close to Jerusalem, lifting up their eyes to the hills and seeing there that holy mount. If not at this vista, maybe the next one or maybe the next one, but I'm looking up. Uh, we sing the song, I'm pressing on the upward way. I'm uh, gaining height and I'm looking forward. Well, here they're, they're literally closing in on the place. Uh, the, the songs of this type start the psalm before. Uh, a pilgrim who's far from home and just getting started on the journey. And man, he wants to be someplace else, which is in the house of the Lord. Psalm 120, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you, and what shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of a broom tree. Woe to me, I sojourn in Mechish. I dwell in the tents of Kedar. Too long I've been, I've had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I'm for peace, but when I speak there for war. And so here's a guy far from home, uh, like a soldier at the end of a long campaign, and he'd like to get back home. And now here in Psalm 121 are the ones who are closing in on home, uh, the ones who are getting closer to Jerusalem, the ones who are nearly there. And then also the famous statement of the next one of these Psalms, Psalm 122, another one of these Psalms of ascent. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing uh, within your gates, O Jerusalem. When you read that in the context of the last two, when it says, let's go to the house of the Lord, it kind of puts a new fervor to it and appreciation to it for me. I always used to think about David where he's in his palace and someone says, hey guy, it's worship time. Let's go next door to the house of the Lord. All right, good, let's go. And I'm sure he did. But imagine if you're far from home. Imagine if you're a long way off. Imagine if you're like that soldier of Psalm 120 and someone said, hey, look at the calendar. It's time to go to Jerusalem. And so here are these as the calendar prescribed coming to Jerusalem. And what do they find? And what is their heart set on? And what is it that they seek? I lift up my eyes to the hills. And this translation says, from where does my help come? The old King James and the pre-King James translations and those several, there's not that many translations who have hewn very close to the King James over the years in their revisions. They all have this as an answered question. They all have this as from whence my help comes. My help is from there, from those hills. And others have it, and most other translations have it as a question. Where do I get my help? And so again, we think about these travelers uh, going onward and upward to Jerusalem like the hiker today. When you get to a high spot, when you get to a, pa- a place to pause and look and appreciate the view and you see the grandeur around, what do you think of? You think of God. You think of God who made these mountains. Just like when you lift your eyes to the stars above, what do we think about? Oh, hey, look, there's that constellation or there's that you know burning ball of gas. And we mostly think, wow, look what God made. And so the sight of these grand things take us to the one who made them. So whether we take this as an answered question 
from the hills, which is the, 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 the mountains that God made. So by metaphor of God, or, or maybe looking specifically to that holy hill, there where the temple stood, Jerusalem. We can take it in that sense, as the old translations do, from whence my help comes. Or we can just ask it less poetically as a question. Hey, where's my help? Where am I going to get my help from? We're going to get it from God. That's why, again, that next Psalm, 122, that's why the, that psalmist was so glad, David was so glad when they said, let's go to the house of the Lord. Because that is the house of hope. That is <coughs> the house of help. And so God is our helper. And now we're going to be told that he is our creator. Just like this morning in Bible classes, we studied those two significant purposes for the Sabbath, remembering that God is our creator and God is our savior. Well, here we're taken back to our helper is God, Jehovah, because he, Jehovah God, is a caring creator. My help comes from the Lord who made the heaven and earth. Now, again, in nearly every English translation you have, and if it's a good, reliable translation, we'll certainly do this. It'll show you that that word Lord is in all caps, the L-O-R-D. There, is a, there was a custom of the Jews in part to keep the commandment of not keeping or not taking God's name in vain that the Jews would make sure to not even say the name of God. And at some point along the way, this name of God represented by, if we'd anglicize the Hebrew letters to the English closest equivalent, uh, Y-H-W-H, which was anglicized a little further in old times to Jehovah, which is, uh, since that's what I grew up with, that's what I commonly use, and now they say a better anglicization of that word would be Yahweh. At some point along the way, uh, the Jews uh, who knew how to say that word and, and how to pronounce that, that name, uh, they all died off, and they had so well taught uh, their children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren not to take that name in vain so much that they never said it, that at some point you, you ran out of people who knew how to say that name. So we're not sure exactly how that name was pronounced. And so the vowels from the uh, another common name of God, Adonai, were given to those four consonants, Y-H-W-H, and we get, as close as we can say it, uh, Yahweh. Well, this, this Yahweh, this is the personal name of God. This is, by God's own statement, his covenant name and all that that entails. So it is the help from Yahweh, the help from Jehovah, the God who makes himself known to man, makes covenant and promises with them, and keeps them until the end. In Exodus chapter 6, uh, this is what Moses had a conversation with the Lord about. It says in Exodus 6 verse 1, But when the Lord, again there's that name Yahweh, spoke to, said to Moses, now you will see what I'll do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will send them out. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of the land. And so he says, God, God said, don't worry. Don't worry. By the time we're done with Pharaoh, he's going to want to get rid of you. Not just will he try, with a strong grasp will he try to hold on to you, which he did for a while. But eventually he's going to give a strong push for you to get out. Because I'm going to make sure that you leave. And so God spoke to Moses and said, I am the Lord. 
I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. I appeared as God Almighty. Uh, in Genesis chapter 17, when Abram was 99 years old, it says the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. God Almighty. You might have heard the Hebrew term for that, El Shaddai. I am I am Elohim, God. I am El Shaddai, the Almighty. He also commonly uh, appeared to uh, the fathers as Adonai, or Lord. And so, God Elohim, God Adonai, God El Shaddai, appeared repeatedly, he says, to the fathers. I appeared to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob as El Shaddai, as Adonai, as Elohim. But by my name, the Lord, by my name, Jehovah or Jehovah, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land which they now live as sojourners. Moreover, I've heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptian hold as slaves, and I remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. So he is Jehovah or Yahweh. And I will bring you out under the burden of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God and you will know that I am the Lord, Jehovah, your God, who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you to the land that I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I'm Jehovah. These seven or eight verses here to begin Exodus chapter 6, that is a really good summary of the first two whole books of the Bible, of Genesis and Exodus. And so here is God who says, I give you my, my name that is personal, the name which I give you, my covenant name, and you now know me in a new way. And I have to say, if it weren't for this of, of Moses telling us this in Exodus 6, I might not have gathered that. Because if you look uh, for the word uh, Yahweh or Jehovah, the one again who, who here is our help, uh, we would uh, think that, well, that name's from all, all over the Bible. It's, that name is used 5,300 times in the Old Testament. It's used from Genesis chapter 2, verse 4 on, where it says, the Lord God, Jehovah God, made the heavens and the earth in the day that they were created. And so I wouldn't have realized, I don't think, that in the dialogue with Moses, excuse me, with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it's not a common name. You know, from, from Exodus on, it's so common, you think, well, that's how it's always been. Actually, in that way, it's kind of like what we said this morning about the Sabbath. Uh, from Exodus on, it's so common, you think, well, that's what it's always been. But it wasn't so common until it was, was revealed. So here is this testimony who is the helper of Israel? Who is, verse 2, my helper as a person in the covenant of God? Who is my helper? It is my creator. It is by somebody I get to know on a first name basis, as it were. You, know, you, you think about when is it that you get to call a guy by his first name? How many people walk into uh, the White House today or for the next three days and go, hey, Donald, 
or hey Don. How many people are going to do that? How many people are on that name of a basis? And, and what few there are of those, there's even few who might go in and get to say, hey, Dad. Because we actually we know there's probably about four of those. Maybe only three. I don't know how many he's talking to these days. Maybe only two or one. But imagine. And then next week or the week after, if you could go into the White House or the Oval Office and go in there and go, hey, Joe. Even if people have known him as, hey, Joe, for a lifetime, what are they going to say now that he's sitting in that chair? They go, Mr. President. Now, here is the creator of heaven and earth. And I'm in trouble. I could use a little help. I could use a little assurance. I could use a little upbeat. I could use a little bit of lifting up. And who is my helper? It's not just the Lord. We're given here his personal name. We're given here his covenant name. We're given here the the one who welcomes us to come in and do that. You know, most of us, we think we, we go face the throne like this and we'd be trembling like Esther before a hazardous going, man, I sure hope he lifts out that staff or I'm a goner. But instead, we're welcome to come and approach his throne of grace and call him by name. Cry out as Paul would say, Abba, Father. Again, not that we would do this to the point of disrespect. Not, I doubt anybody in the presence of the Holy God has ever really been tempted to be disrespectful. Once in his presence, they're, they're more tempted to shrink away in total abject fear and terror. But no, we on earth have an intimate approach. Although, yes, with respect. And the reason for this is, my help again, verse 2, comes from Jehovah, the maker of heaven and earth. And what is his connection to us? Well, he cares for us. Zechariah 10, verse 3. For the Lord of hosts cares for his flock, the house of Judah. Oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. Don't we sing that? Because it's true. The Lord of hosts cares for his flock. Or Isaiah 41, 8. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I've chosen, descendants of Abraham, my friend, you, whom I've taken from the ends of the earth and called from the remotest parts and said to you, you're my servant. I've chosen you, not rejected you. Do not fear, for I'm with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I'm your God. I will strengthen you. I will surely help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So when we look to the hills for help, whom do we find? We find the loving Savior. We find our Savior God, our Helper God, our Creator God. And that's in the Old Testament. Now in the New, what do we find? Beside Him at His throne stands Jesus, the one who came to die and save us, the one who truly cares for us. In John 10, Jesus talked about the hired man looking after the, she- the sheep. He fled because he doesn't care for the sheep. John 10, 13. But I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. And so we're in the power and care of the perfect keeper of the sheep. The perfect keeper of the fold. The perfect keeper of this world. The maker of heaven and earth is our mighty helper and our caring friend. And then we come to the keep section. 
And this, again, why we chose today the English Standard over these other translations, which, again, reliable and good in many ways, but sort of ruined the poetry and the symmetry of the whole thing by switching words on us and not having us have continual keep. He will not let your feet be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber or sleep. The Lord, Jehovah, is your keeper. Jehovah is the shade of your right hand. The sun will not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life or your soul. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Like we sang in our first song this morning, we praise thee, O God. I think it is the third verse. All glory and praise to the God of all grace who has bought us and sought us and guided our ways. Hallelujah, old Hebrew word. We recently looked at that. Hallelujah, amen, another old Hebrew word. We recently looked at that. Let's all praise together and let's all say, let it be because these are so wonderful things. So he will not let your foot be moved. Where he plants you, you can stay. What's Psalm 1? Blessed is a man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is on the law of the Lord. In his law he meditates day and night. He'll be like a tree that is firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season. The leaf doesn't wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so. They are like chaff that the wind drives away. We got to see the last several days what was well-rooted and what was not around here, didn't we? We had a couple of days, a, a good old wind. And I found stuff in my yard. I didn't know where it came from. But my tree's still there. I say that singly because I have a tree. My pecan tree's still there. It's firmly rooted. We, if we are seeking the way of God, under His protection, will not be moved. Our foot will not be moved. Another figure of this type, Habakkuk 3. The Lord God is my strength. He has made my feet like hind's feet. He makes me walk in high places. The hind is the female deer, particularly the red deer. But the, the thing about the deer on the mountainside, the sure-footedness of it. God has set these things there. And you see some of these creatures that God has scaled the sides of these mountains. You think, how could those animals possibly be there? And yet they are. And they can scurry and scamper around. And their feet are secure as they're up on those places. And just about like I can walk or better than I can walk on a flat sidewalk. Well, who put them there? God did. And God watches their every step. He's never inattentive. He never sleeps nor slumbers. Uh, when are you going to sneak up on uh, those that God is keeping? The one who watches over you, as it says, does not get drowsy and does not fall asleep. He's ever vigilant. We can rest because he does. Sometimes we have sleepless nights because of troubles. I think he has sleepless nights too, but for an entirely different reason. Because he doesn't sleep. He's always on guard. But where he decided to rest, he could rest well and rest easy. What troubles him? So nothing troubles him who keeps us. 
Nothing troubles him and nothing distracts him who watches over us. And so we can be in these places where our feet do not stumble and we don't have to worry that, well, he, he looked away for a while. Maybe we, we won't be able to go on. No, he doesn't look away. He doesn't get distracted. He can become the perfect and effective keeper. In John 17, Jesus said this about his keeping of his disciples. He said to God in his prayer, and high priestly prayer, John 17, 10, all mine are yours and yours are mine. I am glorified in them. I find that astounding. We think about us being glorified and we try to glorify the Father. He says, yes, these men glorify me. He says, verse 11, I'm no longer in the world, but they're in the world and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them. See, here's the same, same word, same connection. Holy Father, keep them which you've given to me that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, that which you've given to me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost. Okay, except the son of destruction that the scriptures might be fulfilled. So the only one here I've lost is the one the scriptures said I would lose. And let me ask you, when he keeps us, and when we keep to him in faith, what do we expect? the result to be. Wouldn't we expect the same result? The Lord, again, verse 5. He is your keeper. That's where we took our title. Jehovah is your keeper. And the Lord is the shade on your right hand. And so now we start talking about the way in which he keeps us. First off, he keeps us. He keeps us by being a shade to us. We won't go read, but I think we know the story of Jonah. Jonah, when he got so upset with the Lord, because he said, I knew you were this gracious. I knew you'd spare those people. That's what we know about God too, right? We know he's overly gracious and we're upset that he is so gracious. Okay, uh, hopefully we're, we, we're not surprised by that anymore like Jonah was, or we're not upset by that anymore like Jonah was and the older brother and the story of the prodigal son was. But Anyway, Joseph, excuse me, Jonah, Jonah is up there on the hillside overlooking Nineveh, hoping against hope that it will be destroyed because he doesn't like those people. But he's sure that God will spare them. But he's just going to wait and see. And what happens is he sits there on that hillside above Nineveh. I've never been, I have never been up there in northern Syria, but I hear it gets hot every time of year. I don't think there's a time of year when it's when it's not. But it's always sunny. It's always sunny in Nineveh. I think that was a show uh, or something. Um, so it's, it's sunny. It's hot. It's, it's not pleasant to just sit there. And God causes this gourd to grow up. And how happy is Jonah for the shade? You know, and I, I think this is something that God does to for us. Even when we don't recognize it and we don't always appreciate it. How often does he shade us? Even when we're, well, maybe not worth shading. Maybe, maybe Jonah should have got off that hill and gone and done something else, trying to find some productive activity uh, for the days. But God shaded him. But God taught him a lesson because he took away that shade to teach him something and teach him something about appreciation. And he was upset 
that that gourd that he had, which had shaded him, was gone away. And now he's back out in the sun again. And so God removed from him his shade in order to teach him a lesson. Well, here we have the promise that God is our shade. And don't we sometimes say, I I could use some shade. Or I need some protection. Or I need this or I need that. And why don't I get that? Might it be from time to time God has removed a thing for our good to teach us something? It's not that he's not, we're not under his care and keeping because Jonah was very much under God's care and keeping both when he had the shade and when he didn't. But God gave them both to him in the right time for his own good. And so just because, you know, hey, Jay, it doesn't look like I'm being kept in all my ways. Uh, I, these things I wanted didn't turn out. Uh, some of the people around me, they've had these terrible things happen to me, to them, and I deeply care for them, and their life is not going well, and, and my life is not going well, and all this protection doesn't seem to be there. Well, might it be like in the case of Jonah? God has uh, given and removed for greater purpose. And Jonah was out there, and he, he got a bit of a sunburn, I am sure, but did Jonah die over it, or was he destroyed over it? No, it was actually removed for a time so he wouldn't destroy himself. And so sometimes we ask ourselves when we see such grand promises as these, am I under this kind of protection? Well, this protection was both personal. It's my help in verse 2. It's your keeper and your shade in verse 5. So that's personal and individual. But also we find that the Lord is looking after uh, all of Israel. The Lord is looking after his people both Collectively, verse 4, he who keeps Israel and the Lord is your helper, the one who is your shade. So in a collective sense of his people and in a personal sense of his people, God is keeping them and he's keeping them securely and he's keeping them comprehensively. So what do we see? The sun is not striking by day or the moon by night. And so sometimes we need protection from the sunstroke. And sometimes we need protection because we've been moonstruck and gone all silly. But whether it's from the sun or the moon, the things of the day or the things of the night, and oftentimes in ancient world, the the travelers would travel by night, just as some of our ancestors did their uh, cross-country car trips. They did them at night because there was no air conditioning back then on the cars. And so uh, there's extra dangers at night. God keeps you. There's dangers in going through these mountains and these hills. God keeps you. God keeps you, verse 7, from all evil. Like the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 13, deliver us from evil or the evil one. God keeps us from all evil. He will keep your life. This is where many translations, and this is the one word of this I'm not a fan of in the ESV. I think the word which is uh, normally, in translated most other translations, this here is soul, is better. God keeps our soul. There are times when in this life, some can take life. There are murderers. There are kidnappers. And there are terrible things and terrible people and terrible circumstance. And some would say, well, these people are dead and they didn't get protected and now all is done. And God did not care and keep them. Well, the thing is, if you're faithful, if you're one of those seeking for God, if you're looking to the hills for his help, if you're one of his people, 
What does it mean even though if someone would take your life? In one sense, and I know it sounds a little cavalier, but there's a true sense of this, that it's just an immediate promotion to the next level of which we all wish to obtain anyway, isn't it? Now we respect life and love life enough that we're never cavalier about that. And we would never say, well, well, let's just, you know, let's just kill them and move them on to the next stage. We'd never do that. But there is a sense in which God, God being un, uh, knowing all things, knowing the time, knowing the ultimate destination is us leaving this earth and going to be with him anyway. That yes, he keeps our life. He keeps our soul. His even death does not diminish his care for our soul. But we respect the life enough he gave to always be respectful of it. And we mourn when life is lost, even if we're absolutely confident, and we very often are, about the destination of that life now ended for here, but going to there. And so verse 8, I think, connects to passing as well as all the things of this earth. Verse 8, the Lord, Jehovah, will keep you in your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. You're going out and you're coming in. Well, just as there was really no other alternative between the day and the night, which God keeps you in both, uh, that was in verse 6, the sun won't strike you nor the moon. So you're protected day and night, and everything in life could be either day or night. And so it is with the coming in and the going out, everything is ultimately in it a coming in or going out. Uh, we, We come together for worship. We'll go out of this place and go back to our homes. We'll go out from here and in to there. And so as we go from here and there, and we pray for a safe journey and safe travel along the way. And then also not just of these daily movements, but of grander movements uh, as we send them off to school. And eventually, not just to a school they go to for the day, but the school they move off to. But then also... If they are faithful and seek for God, they'll be safely brought back to us as those under his care and those kept by him as they would come back from that. Or as they go off uh, out from our house, a man would leave father and mother, be joined to his wife. And so they go out from our house, but into theirs and their new one. We have God's care and concern in all these. And so as saints come in or as saints go out, as we go out from this place a final time, as we go into that place, that ultimate place. So whether we come in or whether we go out, and whether that's just going out for the day, going home to shop, or going out to shop, going home, well, now I can shop at home with Amazon. Whether I go out to do my shopping and come back, come right back, or I'm just going out to do a few errands, I'll be right back. And every now and again, somebody's not, right? These tragic situations. But God is keeping them nonetheless. And so to quote and, and to paraphrase, maybe rather than quote, to, to paraphrase a great poet and prophet of the people, an illustrious doctor. I know not a doctor of what, but a, resp- a renowned and respected doctor nonetheless, we paraphrase. He is your keeper on a boat. He is your keeper with a goat. He is your keeper in the rain. He is your keeper on a train. He is your keeper in a box. He is your keeper with a fox. He is your keeper in a house. He is your keeper with a mouse. He is your keeper here. He is your keeper there. He is your keeper everywhere. And then to quote Paul, 
He is your keeper from now and unto the day of eternity. He is fully our keeper. Because it says in Deuteronomy 7, verse 9, Know therefore that Jehovah your God, He is God, and a faithful God. He keeps His covenant and His loving kindness to a thousand generations to those who love Him and keep His commandments. But He repays those who hate Him to their faces, to destroy them. He will not delay with those who hate Him. He will repay Him to His face. So, are we under this kind of care? Well, do we love Him and keep His commandments? Uh, Do we seek uh, covenant agreement with Him? Or do we hate Him? So who's under this protection? Those who love Him and those who seek His ways. And so look to His way. Keep His ways. Don't hate Him. Don't reject Him. Look to Him. Look to the hills from whence comes our help. Or as Christians are taught, Hebrews 12, look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. And so we have a hill to look to. Jehovah on His mighty mountain. And Christ at His right hand. We have a help to look for the full keeping of our life and our soul. And we in this life have eyes to look with. Eyes of faith taught by experience of daily life. So let us look to the mountains, to the hills, from whence comes our help. Because Jehovah is our keeper. With that we close. I ask you this morning to uh, consider how Jehovah has kept you and the way he's blessed you. Uh, Ask what is your response to that goodness that he's shown? Is it as it ought to be faithfulness, devotion, and gratitude? Do you need to come and make covenant with Jehovah and have him be yours so that you may call on him as as your personal and connected and caring God that you would know by name as Jehovah and as Abba, Father, through Jesus Christ? If you need to come this morning uh, confessing Jesus so as to come uh, and be uh, adopted to this family and uh, added to these promises, or if you need to come confessing sin to come back, uh, we'd ask that you'd come now as we stand and say. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ. Additional sermons and information available at mulvanechurch.com. Come see what a difference the Bible way makes.